0: Mana, 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 mana. This is Social Disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast, where my guests and I discuss our lives miss the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I'm Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a journalist, having served as the director of video at The Daily Beast and Deadspin, where he was also a senior editor, as well as a media consultant and political strategist who, as of March, has embarked marked on a massive archival project, which we'll be talking all about. Please welcome Timothy Burke.
1: Welcome. Howdy.
0: Hey. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. The first question. It's a very fun, complicated, easy to ask, difficult to answer question. How are you?
1: You know what? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's been, it has been for as long and as temporarily amorphous a year as this (laughs) has been. Yeah. You know, there have been periods of time of very intense sort of, you know, moments when things are really, really, you know, complicated and, and busy. And obviously, the time right around the election, the time right around the George Floyd protests were... You know i i didn't get a whole lot of sleep and a lot of the inner time between these sort of you know major national events happening a lot of that is for me just you know trying to to make sense of and process both sort of mentally and you know in terms of organizationally all of the things that have happened in those big moments. And it's look, it started before COVID. It started with the impeachment trial in January. yeah. And it is just sort of carried through from there where you know, there's a month of really intense coverage. And some of this is, you know, for, for what I do personally, a lot of it is for, you know, my clients. And then you have, you know, you have a month of this really busy stuff and then you have a month off and then you have a month of really busy stuff and then a month off. So it's been a lot of that. And... Really trying to, in the, in the moments when not so much is going on, to try to relax a little bit or to try to get things that are completely unrelated to work done. Like yesterday, I spent six hours cleaning my office because I haven't had time to do that in quite a while, right? Do I like cleaning my office? No, it's no like nobody likes cleaning anything. But you you do feel good when you get it done. It does serve a purpose. So that's I guess in a long-winded answer to your question, how I'm doing. That's really it, right? Like how I'm doing is I am clinging to this idea that we can manage what's happening by sort of you know quantifying it down to tasks that we can get through day to day
0: yeah you know when you said you were cleaning your office i thought yeah that's not a fun task but it is nice to get those small wins that quantifiable sense of accomplishment and also though honestly it it feels like that control the sense of control and the illusion of control in all of this feels more fleeting than ever and to kind of be able to set up tasks, accomplish things, take control, at least of your environment, for me anyway, that goes a long way to like establishing some relative sense of normalcy.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of my projects, the, the original project of all of this, has been, you know, archiving every televised FBS college football game every week of the season. And I started that simply because nobody else was doing it. There, you know, if you want to look up, NFL games from 10 years ago. You can do that with NFL Game Pass, but there's no service like that at all for college football. And I found that it was, you know, really, really difficult to ever track down video of of old games. And so I started creating this archive, you know, 10 seasons ago, and now, you know, I'm continuing to do it. It's a project that doesn't really have an end. However, every week has an end. And so, you know, every Saturday, I'm recording all these games, and then the rest of the week is basically spent, you know, going through the archival process. Sometimes that means, you know, transcoding games. Sometimes it means downloading them, whatever it is. But at some point, you know, I'm looking here. I have a sheet for week 12. And at some point in the next few days, I will have all of these games on this list crossed off, which means that they've been archived. And then I get to crumple up this sheet of paper and throw it away. Yeah. And that feels really good. The moment that you crumple up the paper and throw it away you've finished out one like one of your tasks and it's done and you can move on to something else and you have to have things like that when so many of your other projects are of an interminable length like this thing that i'm doing now with just sort of trying to archive all of the news and events of the year 2020. obviously there's a i mean the 2020 is going to eventually end but the impacts of this aren't anytime soon. And yeah. so, you know, as you try to get a handle on all that stuff, it's like, what are things that I can actually sign off on and be done with? And it's sort of like some some of my clients have projects where, okay, we're going to, we want to look at this, this, this and this things going forward in 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 an indefinite sense. But then they'll come through and say, you know, I had a client who needed a whole bunch of old soccer matches for this, you know, analysis that they're doing. And I said, "Okay, I have a list of these matches. I can get this done, turn it in, and that contract is closed out." Yeah. And I think that there's probably something like really important to be said about how to get through any kind of difficult time that way is by, you know, itemizing it and finding little aspects that can be completed and finished and that you can have some sense of accomplishment in your day. Every day that you can have some sense of accomplishment for that.
0: I feel like I can, like, on a biological level, feel something when I have a list on a piece of paper and I just draw a line through one item after having finished that. I don't know, it makes me feel like I'm I'm just doing something. And that could be something as, as simple and benign as washing dishes or cleaning up your office for six hours. but. I do think just like minimally, psychologically, it really goes a long way. And you just got to find your wins, carve out those wins, do what you can. And I do think that something like that, it really helps me. I can say
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. I I wish we had considered the emotional health aspects of this pandemic and our response to it as much as we had considered the, the health aspects. and not yeah. inst- instead of using them as as you know tools to make sort of arguments about policy to instead consider that while everyone's emotional response to this sort of event is different there are some pretty consistent and predictable things that we can do to, to make ourselves feel better day in and day out and i think that's one of them
0: absolutely yeah i uh, i'm not going into this year for me uh, funnily enough, like a goal, a thought was, or just something to be conscious about was practicing self care and def- getting a better definition of what that means to me and for me. And it's really turned into, man, what a crash course this has been in that. And just trying to, I don't know, I always liked it in my head too. You're running with the bulls in Pamplona, and the bull is what feels like some kind of like psychological breakdown that I'm doing everything I can to just keep as much distance as possible between me and the bull. This is all just so unfathomable and so impossible to comprehend as we're in all in some form of shock dealing with something that is just so innately cinematic. It really took me a long time to go through, uh, maybe even like the stages of grief, of realizing what we're going through, especially when, you know, at the time, we could never have guessed. The worst case scenario feels like that this would still be going on today, and it is. And it's bigger, badder, worse than ever. I can't even wrap my head around that. And we've been in this for months now.
1: I guess that I've always sort of taken this approach that, you know, I think about, you know, my my grandmother and what she experienced as a younger person during World War II. And, you know, one of the things that we when we talk about sort of history and everything else, and you really have to think like we were attacked at Pearl Harbor in 1941. And it was another three years before something that the American people could really grasp as being a you know a major offensive started to come together. Because you know, the reporting from the Pacific Theater was really sporadic and, and unclear, and, and most of it wasn't really reported at all. So There just had to be sort of this faith that the country was mounting an adequate response to, you know, a war that was happening on two opposite sides of the world, one of which, you know, you're getting these daily reports about, you know, German offensives and here and there and taking over Europe and everything else and not like not really getting any information on what we were doing about it. Yeah. So... You know, that's I guess what I sort of think is that, the you know, people had to have a great deal of faith that things were happening and things were going to work out. And that's, I guess, why it's so harmful, the the leadership in our in our government now, that they are not only, you know, sending the sort of nonverbal signals that they're not doing anything to deal with the COVID outbreak, but they're saying it verbally that that we're not going to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's weird because, you know, living in Florida where the response has been even less adequate than it's been in other parts of the country in in this argument that, oh, you know, that one of the big influences was, you know, the increased unemployment aid. Well, everyone seems to have forgotten that we didn't. (laughs) Our unemployment system went down. Nobody got unemployment in Florida. You know, it's it's just I don't that's, I think, part of the desperation of this. And and one of the things that I can't quite understand is is where these people are who are so comfortable with the state of things. Yeah. And, you know, what their lifestyle is like that they aren't affected by this pandemic. And I'm just really curious how they condition themselves to see all of this as being fine. So...
0: Or worse, that they're doing the best they can in all this. I I can't wrap my head around that. What are they seeing? Or what is it that they're, you know, they're just sticking their heads in the sand and and not paying attention and just being like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I I can't you take a look at anything for 1 second and it's very clearly not the case and it's as bad i mean it's truly worst case scenario i mean it's i I just I just don't get it
1: yeah i mean and, and part of me doesn't want to right yeah part of me doesn't want to have to confront wherever or whatever that is because it's it's a dark place
0: it is and you have a truly unique position right now and truly unique in that, you're literally the only person on the planet doing this, and that is your art. You've you've been archiving major news feeds and not major news feeds. Was it twenty four hours a day since March? Is that correct? Like, like, please explain.
1: Basically, yeah. I mean, since really, and and it really, I mean, I say since March, but it really kind of started with the impeachment. But I just started to. I, I originally thought that it would make for an interesting sort of film to look at how sports came to a stop Mm -hmm. and and do so with archival footage entirely um you know i i I really think that one of my favorite documentaries is is the one about how the oj bronco chase happened in the middle of the nba finals and everything else that was happening
0: yeah that 30 for 30.
1: how you know it was made entirely of archival footage and i thought you know that this would make for a very interesting story as well especially how You know, you had an ACC tournament game canceled in the middle of the game. It just ended. The game just ended. And how, you know, every other sport and how the announcers had to, you know, like spring training games. Well, we'll see you in two weeks. And, and, you know, we didn't we didn't see him in two weeks. Right. Uh, The approach and like it, the way that people responded to that then tells you so much about what messaging was coming about what was really happening with this and it started from there and then i I realized fairly early on that this was going to be a much bigger deal and it was going to be a much more a, a much more serious and globally influential moment and a lot of it was just sort of a i was capturing moments and most of these things just coming from You know the White House pool feeds or whatever else, but that uh, seemingly aren't really archived by any news organizations. And so I just started to keep these things, and it built up and it built up. And I I started a a Patreon to help get some support for being able to keep these in a in a more permanent online archive. Because I filled up about I have about probably twenty hard drives in various configurations on the computers on this, in this office and they were, it was full. And it especially obviously became a a fairly bigger crisis once college football season started because while I do process those things out on a weekly basis, I'm recording several terabytes worth of video every weekend. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to be able to make room for that as well. And then, you know, a lot of the hardware here is more than ten years old, and trying to to cope with that, so it's been a, it's been a, a real adventure to figure out how to make all those things work. But it's been really fulfilling because all of these things that I'm monitoring have not only been you know newsworthy events in themselves, but multiple times various organizations have needed the video that I'm capturing, and apparently I'm the only one who's really who's really watching and I find that sort of interesting but I guess the <laughs> there's only so many you know I've been doing this for a long time I started watching one thing at a time and then it was three and then it was five and and it does take a certain level of I guess skill to be able to know what to look for mm-hmm. and to be able to to not really watch anything. But to just sort of have a a sense for what's happening and do my watching through, you know, targeted Twitter searches or whatever else that might be in order to be ready to capture something if it's happening. And that's, I I think, sort of what my approach is here to a lot of this stuff, because, yeah, it's not. Oh, I I imagine it's probably overwhelming to try to do this on on a large scale for people who aren't used to sort of consuming this much visual information at once. And I had to ramp up to it over several years.
0: Yeah, I was curious about. Th- well, first of all, what is your what's your basic basic probably isn't the right word, but what's your basic setup for all of this information?
1: Most of my systems are, are running um, some ver- flavor of Mac OS. A lot of the programs that I use are actually very fairly old. Mm. And so I'm on some older versions of Mac OS that still run 32 bit applications. My server does it runs Linux but everything else is on Mac OS for the most part. And the reason for that is, is a couple of different things, but mostly so much of what runs all of these speeds are programs that I've written and that really need to operate off of the, what is at its core Unix. You know, Mac OS is basically a version of Unix and you know, Windows would never really provide me that sort of flexibility to be able to do that. And so that's, I think, one of the advantages of what what I'm able to do here. I have a couple Raspberry Pi based Raspbian, I guess they, they call <laughs> the operating system for that, uh, that I've, that I've programmed. And, and, and some of my clients have those devices as well. I do a lot of hardware development, I guess it's hardware and software development for them to build specific tools for monitoring, certain things at at certain times a lot of this has been difficult because you know you you might have a newsroom where they've got a bunch of tvs up with all these different feeds of things and nobody's going to their newsrooms right now so what tools can i build for clients that enable reporters or editors or assignment editors or whoever it is at home to be able to keep an eye on what's happening in the world uh, in a in an affordable manner
0: yeah that's really interesting i never thought about that are you still, I, I know that probably this answer is dictated by just the ever-evolving nature of what 2020 is, but are you still wrapping your head around the possibilities of what you can do with all this information that you're collating?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, there are opportunities that I I haven't even thought of yet, and that sometimes people come to me about things. I, I thought there would be more political sort of either parties or candidates who would be very much in need of this stuff Mm -hmm. and one thing that I really kind of found is that people who work in politics seem to be very confident of what they're doing even if they don't know what they're doing and so it's it is a little frustrating when you present an idea to somebody and they say oh no we've got this and then they execute it poorly because they didn't take advantage of the opportunity that you provided them. Yeah. So, and you can't make people hire you, but it's certainly frustrating from the sense that the specific things that I try to do for people is to give them access to high quality video of these news events and specifically to get them from sources where they aren't encumbered by everything that comes from something as it appears on on a television network, that is the graphics and all this kind of stuff and being able to respond to those things quickly. and say, give people tools to be able to not just monitor the news, but to be able to ingest the video and be able to repurpose it, either for news reporting, rapid response in politics or whatever. And the clients that I've worked with have had an incredible amount of success with that. And I'm proud of the work that I've done with them. It's just interesting to me that which political organizations have understood how to take advantage of what I work with them on and which ones have not.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's, from your perspective, but very informative, knowing who knows what to do with the information and how to, how to use that, to your point, to their advantage versus others. And I can only imagine which are doing that and which aren't, but that's a whole other conversation.
1: I'll just say that I have had a lot of conversations with other people who, who work in the line of work that I do and have had the same experiences that I have had trying to break into certain aspects of the political business.
0: Okay. You're in, you're wearing two very specific hats in this, in that you're a citizen experiencing all of this through all these months, but then also, you know, the implications of archiving all this stuff and these different events, it completely changes this ever-evolving project that you're working on. It's so much information from so many different sources, so many things being archived, and there is just fe- seemingly like just unlimited Potentially applications for all this, but yeah, are you finding that realizing what you can do with it is sometimes just informed by what people are requesting from you?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the sort of frustrating things, and this is like a you know having to grow up issue, right? Is that so much of what I would do with what I've built would be used very differently if I say still work at at Deadspin if Deadspin still existed and I still worked there it would be a lot more fun. It would be a lot more sort of maybe frivolous, whereas there's not really a, a platform for so much of that right now. Yeah. And it's, I tried to, I, I had an idea this morning where it was an absolute sort of project. If I had it, if I were at Deadspin, I would make it because it's, it's inc- incredibly stupid, but it would, it would be funny. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would be getting paid to, to do it. In this instance, it would take me, A good amount of effort to put together it would take up a bunch of time and for what so that i can put it out on twitter yeah that's there's a balance in a lot of this stuff you know that like my twitter account is is how i promote the work that i do but it's also not something that i get paid for so how much value is there in anything that i put on that if it's going to boost my public profile so that i get more clients then it's great. Otherwise, am I just doing it for, like, for fun, to satisfy my followers? That's not necessarily an acceptable reason to do anything. So there's there's a, it's really interesting how we have to consider the balance of this stuff and how we allocate our, our time. And this is not something that existed at all, really, before you know, social media happened. And I don't think, I think most people don't really put that much thought into it. They, they feel like posting something, they post it. Yeah. Yeah, Because I, most people don't have, haven't built up an audience. I mean, geez, man, I'm coming up on, in less than a month, I'll start my 15th year on Twitter. Nobody should be on anything for that long. I just (laughs) just delete my account and become a monk. I don't know. But, uh, that seems really unhealthy, personally, but
0: I think there's something could be said for decompression or or just sometimes you can do something and it doesn't have this massive intrinsic value. It's still something. Yeah, I just want it's it's a I think what you're doing is a really important thing and it's a really cool project and just I will say just thank you for doing it because it's amazing. Like I'm blown away by it.
1: Uh, I appreciate that. It's it's. It's overwhelming, but the support that I've gotten from people like you is really, really meaningful to me. I'm, I'm glad, and hopefully, uh, you know,
0: this is—I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but, yeah, can please point people toward, plug whatever you need to, including the Patreon, which is 100% worth Oh, uh, I appreciate that.
1: It. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter profile, and I'm at BubbaProg, B-U-B-B-A-P-R-O-G on Twitter, but— um, It's um, it is incredibly helpful for for my ability to continue doing this. And and we've already had results as as I sort of have outlined on Twitter and and on the Patreon that um, the the efforts that people have made to support this project have had returns in what I have been able to provide to other media outlets and what we've done with like last week tonight with John Oliver and a lot of other things.
0: That's awesome. So, yeah, thank you for your time. This was really cool. So thank you again.
1: Well, thanks for the invitation. It was really nice to to have an opportunity to discuss this stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Any little bit of uh, light that can be shown on this project, I'm all about it. Because, again, it's really cool. Thank you all for listening. Please take care. Please wear a mask. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye.